welcome to the Door of Life Church podcast. Our mission is to share the love of Jesus with the world and believers, to teach them how to walk in victory, and to help them find and fulfill God's plan for their life. If you have any comments about today's podcast, please contact us through our website at dooroflife.org. Door of Life Church, where faith meets real life. We'll go ahead and take a look at a, a very familiar passage of Scripture to a lot of us, and it's the 23rd Psalm. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. There's a few different translations here. He restores my soul. It's New King James. He renews my strength. That's new living. He refreshes and restores my life, myself, amplified. That's where he restores and revives my life, the passion translation. So we see something that the Lord does. We, you know, and I feel like this morning, just in worship and just the, the sense of the Spirit, even as we were lingering in the presence of God, I could just sense the, the Spirit of what he's preparing us for where he wants to take us in the Word. But just the sweet presence of green pastures, still waters, and there's a place that he restores our soul. Um, you know, when you think of, you know, just the sweetness, the presence of, the, of God lying down in green pastures, still waters, in the context of a shepherd and sheep, it's difficult to, to make a little sheep lie down. They're insecure, they're timid. They've got to really feel safe before they're going to lie down. And that's what the shepherd does. He creates that environment. He creates that safe place where it's okay to lie down. There's wolves, there's things around, but the shepherd is there. There's a sense of protection with the shepherd that it's okay to lie down. He can, in a way, disarm the atmosphere to where I can relax and I can let him do what he wants to do. And he, as we're lying down, looking out across the still waters, he does something. He restores my soul, renews my strength, refreshes my life, revives my life. There's something going on while I'm lying down. There's a, a restoration process. And, you know, when we think of restoration, <clears throat> we think of a lot of, we can think of that in a lot of different contexts. I know what's been popular um, lately these days have been the shows of restoring homes, you know, you take the old home, you turn it into, you know, you restore it from the old, crusty, outdated stuff, and you bring it to the 21st century, the fresh carpet, fresh windows, paint, the look, you, you restore something from that's old to new. There's this process, and, you know, we get into these shows, you know, Julie enjoys these shows, uh, well, all, all our all our girls do, but it's um, just where you 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 know you you anticipate the end of the story, the end of the show, because what they're going to do is they're going to do the before and after, the old crusty outdated kitchen to the new sparkly brand new kitchen, living room, bedroom. What happens there? It's restoration. It's the same house. It's just restored. A lot of times, even. Um, 
what's popular these days is just flipping, flipping homes and things like that. Same concept, same idea. You're taking something, you're buying into something that's old and outdated, and you're restoring. And as you're restoring, you're adding value. And you realize that something is being made brand new. Something is being made to where it's attractive and people want to buy it again. And so there is this, this process of restoration. And a lot of times we think about that as it relates to a house, or maybe you're restoring a piece of furniture, or maybe you're restoring something, all right? You're going through that process of taking something that's old, ugly, outdated, and you're, you're causing it to be refreshed and renewed and relevant again. Same, same object, but there's a restoration process. And I'll say this too, at the beginning of a new year, many times we've got our fresh commitments. It could be to fix up that old basement. It could be to lose some weight. It could be to restore, you know, a, a relationship, finances, different things like that that you could have as a project. And those are all forms of restoration, and we get it, and there's process to it. But it's important to understand also that when it comes to our soul, your mind, your emotions, your will, your mental faculties, your mental emotional stability, God has a restoration project of your soul. He restores your soul. That's what I'm going to minister along the lines of this morning. He restores my soul. And I want us to just get a fresh glimpse of what that means when God restores our soul. Sometimes we can have some spiritual romantic ideas about what that means, and we feel like we failed and we haven't failed. We're just in the process of being restored, that's all. I mean, you look at that picture and yeah, I wouldn't necessarily want to live in, that, in the state that it's in right now, but I know something about that. Restoration project. It's a work in progress. I don't know what the old carpet was or different things that are going on there, but I know that it's under construction. Things are getting restored. And two weeks from now, it's going to look different than what it looks like now. It's going to look a little better. There still might be some scraggly parts, but things are going to get restored. Things are going to get renewed. So I want to take the idea, the understanding of restoration as it relates to God restoring things from a place of old to a place of new as it relates to how does he work on our soul like that. You know, I've, I've related one of, the, one of my favorite little kids, Disney kid movies, I don't know if it was Disney or not, I think it was, but Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. If you guys watch that old 60s or at least you probably know the song, if nothing else. Uh, man, probably not all of you know the song, but <laughs> oh man, Okay. That's okay. Um, so just the old movie about this car, Chitty, 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 Bang, Bang, and they, the, the whole movie starts out with this, you know, gleaming, sparkly race car. He's won like three Grand Prix, just 
champion car, and uh, you know it's kind of the beginning of the movie, and he's racing, he's tearing it up, looks like he's going to win another race. Then all of a sudden, out of the blue, this little girl, this dog runs out in the middle of the track. And then this little girl runs out after her dog. And so here's Chitty barreling down the racetrack, and there's the little girl and her dog. And so the driver has to turn the car off to the side, breaks through a fence into a ravine, starts on fire, and Chitty's driving days are over, done. The next thing you see is the scene of Chitty in the junkyard. And it's like, when you talk about restoring a soul, there's a backstory behind every soul that needs to get restored. There were glory days. There were good days. There were days when that house was sparkly new back in its day. And there can be things that happen in our life, times in life, where we're walking with God and things are good and it's right, and sometimes something can happen. Whatever it is, that little girl running out in the middle of the, your road with her dog, or you know, whatever, life happens, events happen, people do things, you might fail, there's different things that can steer us off uh, and put us in a spiritual junkyard sometimes, as you will, with your soul, and you're kind of remembering the good old days when you were winning the gram, when things were good, when life was good, you know, and, the, and our soul can get stuck in those places. And in the movie, ironically, you, know, you, you think of, of, of Chitty then, you think of him in the junkyard, think, man, that, that kid and her dog, if it wasn't for that kid and her dog, I'd still be winning races today. Life would still, if it wasn't for. And the irony in the, in the movie, now, I'm using a car, all right? To, I'm personifying a car as it relates to our soul. But Jesus personified fish and vegetables as it relates to people. So I'm just doing it with a car, all right? So I'm not, I'm not out of bounds here. But you can think of, you can think of Chitty in that, in that uh, junkyard thinking, man, that kid and her... But here's, here's the amazing thing. The next, thing. the next scene you see in that junkyard is, are these little kids, and they're driving Chitty. Like, Chitty's a great racing car. And they're just, and just wow! And they're, it's just like the glory days, and these little kids are driving. It's kind of an irony that the little kid, that he could be bitter about that, these are the same little kids that are summonsing Chitty's identity. You're a race car. They're pretending they're racing in, in Chitty, and it's like, it's like they're back there. And so there's a backstory for every soul that needs to get restored. There's things that are going on. How does God restore my soul? There's a few ways he does it. There's a, there's a progression of what happens here. And this is so important to see, especially in the light of our new covenant as believers, okay? The first aspect, the first kind of process of restoring our soul is he restores my thoughts from death to life and peace, all right? Uh, Romans 8, 5 through 6 says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. In other words, there are trajectories of thought, and 
in your own soul, there are times when you live and can live in a place of pity and frustration and anger and hatred. It's a trajectory, it's a thought trajectory of death. All right? What causes that? We can see clearly. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of life in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When we're talking about a soul that needs to be restored, there are things that we experience in our own soul, in our own mind, in our own heart that are, you know, there's this, actually there's a proverb that says, um, a man's own heart, a man's heart knows its own bitterness and no one else can share its joy. There is something personal and there's intimate about your stuff, your soul, the hurt, the pain, the, all that. You know, you can kind of describe it, but there's nobody who knows your soul like you. There's nobody who knows this place you're living in, as it were, of your soul like you do. But the amazing thing about our God is he is a master builder, he's a master redeemer, he's a master renovator. He knows the things that cause our soul to decay, he knows how to renovate. He knows how to make a soul, uh, your mind, your will, your emotions whole again. We see here from the scripture, you know, the two categories that kind of the laundry list of what the Bible calls the flesh and then the beautiful fruit of the Holy Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. So we see that there's this battle going on between, you know, your thoughts that want to take you out to death, and there's also the, the call of the Spirit that wants to lead you back to a place of life. That's why to be spiritually minded is death. When your mind is controlled by the Spirit, it leads to life and peace. And finally, the Scripture says in Romans 8, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. If you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the children of God. And so we're seeing, um, you know, when it comes to our life, when it comes to our soul, there is a decision that we have to make. There are forces that are pulling on our soul that are either leading to death or they're leading to life. They're leading to freedom. And this is the most vulnerable time when it comes to God restoring your soul because you are not the restorer of your soul. He restores your soul. There are things we do, but he does the restoration of our soul. And as we're looking at, again, that list of stuff, I'm just, I'm just talking to you. This is between you and the privacy of your own mind and, your own, and, and the Lord. But things that play games with our soul, it's flesh. Sin does that. Sin plays games with our flesh. It messes with our soul. It messes with the way that room looks. It messes with the way that house looks. 
all right? This isn't something you're seeing with your natural eye. It's something that, that has to do with your emotions and your will. And it's important to understand, this is humbling. Sin affects everybody the same way. Nobody's exempt from, reap, you know, you sow to the flesh, you have the flesh reap corruption. These are things that corrupt our soul. Now, it can be easy to kind of get in a, a religious mindset and to think, okay, well, I got to do right, I got to live right. There's something bigger going on, though. There's a, there's a point of honesty that we have to come to. There's a point of humility where we realize, I am stuck in a soul that is ugly, that is outdated, and I want my soul to be restored. I want the death out of this place. Now, I'm talking metaphorically as you're thinking of that structure, thinking of your soul in that context of that structure. I want this thing to be clean again. I want it to be livable again. I want to be able to go to bed in this place, and I want to wake up in this place again. It's a place of your soul. But the first thing he does is he just brings us to a point of decision. He just brings us to a point. You know, you can go around that block so many times, you know, try to game the system, figure it But it's like there, there comes an inflection point when you have to decide God's way is right. And, and, and I love how the New Living puts it. It says, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation. There's no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. There's an urge. But just because you have an urge doesn't mean you have an obligation to that urge. Now, this is step one, all right? This is where we have to realize there's an urge. I don't have an obligation to that urge, but it's like, how do I not give in to that urge? All I know is that, okay, when I give in to that urge, it messes with my mind, it messes with the way I perceive things, but I don't have to. He goes on to say, if you live by its dictates, you will die. That's the trajectory of death. That's going to mess up your soul. It's going to make your soul ugly. But if through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, through the power of the Spirit, all right? It's the Spirit that gives you the power to clean up that room. You will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the children of God. The, you know, we think of being led by the Spirit of God. What job are you going to take? Where are you going to go? Where are you gonna... Oh, there's a, a, the big work of the Holy Spirit's leading is what you're going to think next as far as being led by the Holy Spirit. What are you going to think on next? That's how the Holy Spirit will lead us. It's how he will guide us. Is our master builder, is our master restorer. So the first thing that he'll do is he brings us to that point, that point of, in, that inflection point. It's, it's, it's a, I don't want to say, I don't despair is not a good word. It's an inflection point of surrender, put it that way. It's an inflection point of surrender. I can't do this. I can't live for God. I've tried. I can't do it. Praise God. That's where he's trying to get you to. You can't do this. You can't do this. There is something you need help. You can't clean up this room. You try to clean up this room, and you might get a little area cleaned up, and all of a sudden, there, you, you know, another area gets dirty. And it's frustrating. And you can't, you can't do this yourself. God brings us to a point where I, I need God. I can't clean this up. That, you know, we think of the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son, he had the wild living, and then all of a sudden the, the scripture says, he came to himself. And he said, oh, 
man, in my father's house, the servants are living better than what I am, you know? He did all that stuff. He did, you know, you think of the prodigal son and you think of that verse 19 through 21, that was the prodigal son. And then when his money ran out, he had no friends. He had all the, the junk in his life, but he came to himself. There's an inflection point. You know, what direction am I, am I going to keep going the direction of the sinful nature? It's just going to make this soul even dirtier. Or am I going to go the direction of the spirit? The answer is in the spirit. It's there. I know it's there. But there's a, there's a soft, there's a trusting in God that has to happen to even make that step. It's not like, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and clean up my act. No, I'm not. I'm going back to God. I'm, I'm choosing him again. Fresh, there's these two forces that are working against me. But I am going to go after God. It's like that, that's even in that movie um, in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, the little kids are racing the car and this other guy buys it because he's going to use it, you know, for his purpose. And the kids say, what are you going to do with this car? He said, I'm going to melt it down in a fiery furnace. And, you know, the kids go, you can't do that. And so they talked to the owner and said, just give us, a, you know, a couple days and we're going to, we'll go to the father, we're going to go to our father, you know, and we'll be able to buy it. And of course, if you know the movie, they do that. They go to their father and they get the money and they buy Chitty out of the junkyard. But you can see in the junkyard, there's two forces working against Chitty's future. There's one as a fiery furnace of melting and destruction. It's like you never even existed. And these kids who saw what Chitty was and want to restore and revive and bring him back to his glory and to what his purpose is. Two forces, you know, in this car's life. And we've got those forces that are working on our soul, on our room. There's one that just wants to demolish it, tear it down, and there's another force that's saying, no, we can get this place back up. We can get this place back up and running and working and smelling right and looking right. We can get this soul restored stronger than it ever was. There's this call. There's this deep calling unto deep. And that's the first part of God restoring our soul. It's, there is just a call back. And then the next step in the process of how he restores our soul is he restores my focus from religious duty to relationship. All right, I'm coming back to God. What does that mean? Here we go again? No, it doesn't mean here we go again. You know, when the, when the prodigal son, here, the prodigal son, we said he came to himself, but this is what happened when the prodigal son decided to come back. So he, this is the prodigal son, returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servant, Quick, put on the fine, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the fatted calf. We have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead, and he has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. You know, the prodigal wanted to return back to his father as a worker, as a servant. But his father would not receive him back as a worker. He, re he received him back as who he was, his son. In other words, when he's coming back to the father... 
he came back to him as a son. When the father saw him coming afar off, he wasn't thinking, oh, great, I'm going to have another worker for my field. My prophets are going to... No, he saw a son. He wasn't seeing dollar signs. He was seeing a person. And a lot of times we think, I'm going to come back to God, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to read the word, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to work for the kingdom, I'm going to be about the Father's business, I'm going to work. God isn't seeing another worker when we come back. He's seeing you. He's seeing you. He's seeing the one he loved while you were a sinner. He's seeing your person. He's seeing you as a person. He's not, he loves you more than what you can do for him. We got to believe that. Do we want to work for him? Do we want to? Yes. But I'm not just representing gross national product for the kingdom of God. I'm a person, and he loves me as a person. To see that, when I'm coming back to God, I'm coming back to him. And that's the way, that's the way Jesus put it. He said, come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So when I'm coming back to God, and again, this is where I think we, even as word of faith type people and all that, kind, I think we can, we can slip into this error huge even maybe more so than most. Because you put an emphasis on the word in prayer, and you got to be in the word. you got to be praying. The answer's in the word, word, prayer, word, prayer, prayer, word, prayer. And we kind of forget sometimes. Okay, my house is a mess. I need to get back to the word and prayer, word and prayer, word and prayer. And that's not what God is saying. What's he doing? He's restoring my focus from religious duty to relationship. The prodigal son came home to a father. He didn't come home to Bible school. He came home to a person. He came home to somebody who wrapped his arms around him and loved him. My soul is a mess, and I'm coming back to a person. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. There is a changing of direction, and you can use that word change, which means repentance. It means to change from one thing to another thing. But it's important as we're changing direction, as I'm changing from death to life, as I'm making that repentance, as I'm making that change, as the prodigal is going from the pig farm back home to the father, he's making that change. It's a repentance. It's a change. And let me just say this. Repentance is not penance. Repentance is not penance. What is penance? Glad you asked. All right. It is. Voluntary self-punishment inflicted as an outward expression of repentance for having done wrong. You know, you can do penance with the word and with prayer. Penance, replacing word, and it's a form of the hardest penance. And God is saying, this is not about your penance. This is about me and you. I love you. As a person, I just sense that theme was just coming coming in early from the beginning of this service. There's a personalized God loves you that you got to get your penance out of the way from to receive. It's going from religious duty, from religious duty to relationship. God wants you. He wants you 
He wants to hang out with you again. He wants to do life with you again. He's restoring your focus from religious duty to relationship. He wants you to go from, from, from a place of that heavy yoke to that place of a light yoke. He wants you to go to that place of relationship. In other words, you're really repenting from something of the flesh and you're repenting to the Father. You know, it's not just switching out one device for another device. You know, you can do that in the natural. If I'm dealing with a weight problem and I repent from Snicker bars to Three Musketeer bars, well, I really haven't repented, have I? I might not eat Snicker bars anymore, but all I've done is I've kind of went from one thing to another. That's kind of the way it can be from repenting from the flesh and death to penance. You really haven't repented back to God yet. You're not there yet. Oh, I'm going to rule out myself. I'm going to pray and I'm going to do a word. That's not where he's trying to bring you to. Prayer and the word are vehicles for your relationship with him. That's what makes the yoke light. It's not the volume. It's not the time. It's not the number. It's whether you're doing it from a place of relationship or whether you're doing it from a place of penance and religious duty. That's why Jesus hit these areas of prayer in the word so hard the way he did. He said, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the street that they may be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward in full already. But when you pray, go to your most private room. Close the door. Pray to your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you in the open. And when you pray, don't heap up phrases, multiplying words, repeating the same ones over and over as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their much speaking. Can you, see, can you hear the penance in this? Can you hear the self-inflicted punishment as an outward expression for, uh, for the things you've done wrong? This is, Jesus is stripping out this penance attitude. Do we pray? Yeah. We go to the secret place to hang out with the Father, to talk to Him. Not to be seen by people, not to rat, tat, 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 tat. So I'm going, wow, I've, wow, I'm really getting through to heaven now. There's no, there's a personal walk. There's relationship in that middle verse. There's just a pouring out your heart. There's an honestness, a candor that gets God's attention. When all of a sudden those things you've been afraid of and worrying about, you begin to turn into prayer requests. Instead of being anxious, you begin to pray and ask the Lord to give you wisdom and direction. Getting what's in your heart out. That's the kind of prayer. It's not about volumes. It's not about, I mean, I've been there. You know what it's like too. Sometimes you can go in these prayer meetings, we're going to go in to pray for hours, and it's like, man, I feel like I've been praying for, you know, four hours, and it's been four minutes. When you're on the clock, when you're on the clock, things go slow. When you're, when you're in relationship, things fly by. So yeah, are you, are you repenting back to the things of the Spirit? Yeah, you are, but not in a, from a sense of religious duty. God doesn't want your Bible reading back. He doesn't want your pray, rat-tat-tat praying back. He wants you back. He, he wants you to come back to Him, and He wants to hang out with you. This is about fellowship. 
Prayer and the Word are just vehicles for fellowship. That's what they are. They can be done right. They can be done wrong. Same with the Word of God, too. And that's this is kind of even in the, Jesus took it up with the Pharisees of the day. Now, Pharisees of the day, man, they memorized books of the Bible. I mean, it was amazing the restrictions that they had just for their status of Pharisee. But when Jesus spoke to them, he said this. He said, you search and investigate and pour over the scriptures diligently because you suppose and trust that you have eternal life through them. And these very scriptures testify about me. And still you're not willing to come to me so that you might have life. So you can see that there is, you can rat-tat-tat the scriptures. You can, rat, you, know, you can just word, 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 word. But there is an element of humility in coming to Jesus that has to be part of it. This is the way James put it. He said, get rid of all uncleanness and rampant outgrowth of wickedness. And in a humble, gentle, modest spirit, receive and welcome the word which implanted and rooted in your hearts contains the power to save your souls. So again, this is not volume, is it? This is just, it's, an, it's, it's the secret place prayers, and it's just the, the reverencing and the humbling receiving of that word of God. It's a different, um, it's a different paradigm. And again, like we said, what God does is he, he, takes, he takes the concepts of prayer and the word, and we begin to see them for what they are. They're, they're a relationship. Because when you're coming from that place where your soul is a wreck and it's a mess and you know where you want it to be. You know you want, you can see what you want it to be. It can be very intimidating to get there. And you know you can't make it that way yourself. You need God's help. And in crossing over, that prodigal son knew something. The father was merciful to his servants. He didn't realize still how merciful he was to him as a son, but he knew the love of God and it caused him to cross over to go in the direction of, I'm going to live for God again, not with the focus of religious duty, but with the focus of fellowship. Yeah, I'm going to have a devotion time, but it's not, it's not check and box devotion time. I'm going to be doing some things, Lord. I'm reading scripture. I'm praying, but Lord, it's from a secret place. It's from a heart that wants to be taught by you. There is a trust in him. Keith Green wrote a song, um, and it really... It, it's more of a chorus than a song. I don't think there's any verses. It's just what it is. It goes like this. But I think about this restoration product, I, project. I think about the prodigal son at this inflection point. It goes like this. My eyes are dry. My faith is old. My heart is hard. My prayers are cold. And I know how I ought to be alive to you and dead to me. What can be done for an old heart like mine? Soften it up with oil and wine. The oil is you, your spirit of love. Please wash me anew in the wine of your blood. What is there? When you're going from that place of answering the call to this fellowship, you know you're coming to a safe place. You're coming unto a good shepherd. I know my heart is hard. My heart is hard, and I need it to be softened. I need my heart to be softened. I'm going your direction, Father. I'm going to that throne of grace. I believe there's mercy and grace to help me. I, I know, Lord, the work of your spirit. You love me. You're for me. And so I'm going to this place. I'm going to live for God again, being on fire for God. We have a lot of phrases that can put a lot of expectations, 
But I'm telling you what, there is a coming back to God. I got to read the Bible and prayer again. No, I just need to be in fellowship with God again. If it's just Bible and prayer reading, that's a heavy yoke. But when you're in fellowship with God, it's a light yoke. That's, when you see that, that's when these kind of scriptures make sense. Talking about prayer and the word. Think about this in terms of prayer. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, if I was just, just to say from the natural, what seems like a light yoke and a heavy yoke? Praying for five minutes or praying for 24 hours? Well, gee, praying for five minutes would seem like the lighter yoke. It isn't a lighter yoke. In fact, it can be a heavier yoke when you're on the clock for just five minutes than when you're just fellowshipping with God throughout your day. Light yoke, heavy work isn't about time. It's not about volumes. Even when you look at the, uh, the Psalm 1 guy, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he, he meditates day and night. You see a rejoicing, a thankful heart. You see a delight. You see fellowship here. In other words, this is what I want to get back. This is what I desire. You know, if you're meditating in the Word of God, you're not in a hurry. You can't be in a hurry and meditate at the same time. Have you figured that out? If you're going to meditate, you got to slow down. Forces you to slow down on the inside. Forces your soul to slow down, to stop and think and ponder. And all of a sudden, productivity is not about speed anymore. Productivity is about depth and reflection, meditation. And what is this? This is the, and what is, this is the light yoke. You can meditate in the Word day and night again and have a lighter yoke than somebody who got through their chapter today. Now, there's discipline that we have, reading the Word and praying, different things like that. That's good. That, that can keep us on track, but our heart is relationship. When I'm sitting down in my devotion time, Lord, this is about secret place prayer time. Lord, this is about receiving your word in a humble and gentle and modest spirit, welcoming your word in my heart. I humble myself to your word to receive this. It's not the volume of scripture. It's that heart that I receive it. What am I doing? I'm re he restores my focus back to my walk with him. He's saying over and over again, I love you, I'm with you, I'm for you. And so that's, that's ultimately what we're getting back to, to just realize that prayer and the word, they're vehicles for my relationship with God. I'm not worshiping prayer. I'm not, I'm not just making prayer. In the word. It, it's how God talks to me and how I talk to him. It's how the dialogue happens. Just getting that right in, back in, a, in its proper perspective again. And then, um, you know, you think about it too, just what happened in the garden. What did Adam and Eve have in the garden? They walked with God in the cool of the day. Can you imagine that? That's what they lost. That's what Jesus got back for us, to be able to walk and talk with God, to have fellowship with God. And you've got to imagine, that was like the sweet time. I don't, I don't picture God coming down in the cool of the day and yelling, Adam, Eve, it's devotion time. You're going to hear your chapter today. Talk to me. No. It was something that was sweet. I come to the garden alone. He walks with me, talks with me. That's what he restored. That's what redemption's all about. That's what he wants. Now, the room can still look ugly, and you can have that, and the room can still look ugly, and there's still stuff going on. But you got that back. You did the prodigal son realization, I need God again, and I'm not coming back to a set of religious dogma. I'm coming back to a person. I'm coming back to my father. I'm coming back to a relationship, my relationship with him. I'm talking to him again. 
I don't have to wait till I get my eyes dotted and T's crossed. I don't have to clean up that room myself before I can talk to him. No, he stands at the door. I let him in. He's knocking. I let him in now. I let him into my heart. I fellowship with him. It's, it's through my fellowship with him that I'm going to learn how to get this room cleaned up. But I got to let him in first. And then finally, the last step is he restores my expectation from all or nothing to progress and hope. All right? And this is where we can miss it as Christians a lot of times. All right, I've come back to God. I'm walking with God. And that room's ugly. It's a mess. And you're not going to just snap your fingers and it's all going to become good at once. You're going to have little projects in that thing. You know? You're going to start off in this corner and this stairwell and that window. And, you know, you got projects. So he begins to restore your expectation. It's not about all or nothing. It's about progress and hope. You know? If I'm going to lose weight, I have permission to lose weight one pound at a time. I don't have to wake up the next morning and be at my goal. I give myself permission. You know, I might still have some eating habits I got to curb, but I'm in, I'm in progress. And I can celebrate my progress every little bit, every little thing I can celebrate along the way. Even though there's still some dirty areas in that room, hey, that stairwell looks a lot better than it did last week. What are we talking? We're talking about the restoring of your soul now. We're talking about your mind, your will, and your emotions. We get dramatic and we get spiritually romantic about this stuff sometimes. Where it's like, oh my goodness, I had this bad thought. I thought I was doing so well. And I, no, it's just another area of things. You'll get to, you're going to get to it. All right. You're, you're getting some stuff taken care of over here right now. It's a restoration process. And he's restoring your soul. Sometimes we throw in the towel way too early because the devil lies to us and we believe his lie and we give up and we're right in the middle of a restoration project. But he's restoring our soul. And there's progress and there's hope along the way. Praise God. Galatians 6, 8 through 9 puts it this way. He who sows to his flesh will the flesh reap corruption. He who sows to the spirit will the spirit reap everlasting life. Let us not grow weary while we're doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. So there's a discipline that goes on with this, but it's important to understand as we begin to talk about some of the disciplines and the trust, we're doing it from a place of relationship, aren't we? I'm not doing this. I'm not sowing of religious duty. I'm sowing. I'm sowing from a place of relationship with God. In fact, when you get to that place where you're praying without ceasing and you're doing, you're sowing in ways you don't even hardly even realize you're sowing. You're just doing it and you begin to worship and things like that, it, it comes out of meditating in the Word of God, what that scripture means. You're so into the Spirit all day long. And what happens is the Holy Spirit begins to guide you in some of these areas of sowing and, and, and establishing a, a, a discipline and spiritual things. And what happens is, you know, you're doing your part, but the, the Spirit of God is doing an amazing renovation work behind the scenes that you can't do. Here's a beautiful, powerful way it happens in real life. The Word of God is living and powerful, so you're meditating in the Word of God, you're getting a cognitive understanding of what it means, but there's something going on under the hood that the, the Word does have the power to do. It's living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it is, the Word is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. New living, it is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and it exposes the innermost thoughts and desires. Amplified, exposing and sifting and analyzing, judging the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. 
The power of the word, when we're just doing our part, we're meditating, we get our cognitive reasoning of what we think of the word, the spiritual power, and this is something that's amazing when you experience it, but when you begin to delight in the law of the, law, the law of the Lord, there's a work that goes on. I think there's a proverb that says that when knowledge is pleasant to your soul, then discretion will preserve you. There's, when you begin to delight, there's a power of the word. It separates soul and spirit. It puts distance between who you are and how you feel. When, when we don't have that, we feel a certain way and we just identify. This is how I feel. This is who I am. The Word of God interrupts that. It puts distance between how you feel and who you are. And when how you feel begins to say, this is how I feel, and you think, yeah, but, wait, this is, but that's not who I am. It's the Word that supernaturally creates that space. I can't fully explain it. All I know is that when I'm, in, when I'm spending time in the Word and that same old trigger hits, when I'm spending a time with the Word and it tries to get you out of the you think, well, oh yeah, but I don't have to go there. I don't have to do that. You see, it has discerning ability. It discerns the thoughts and the intents of the... It sees through stuff. You know how it is when you can see through something? Maybe somebody's doing or seeing or saying, and you can kind of see through the sales gimmick or whatever it is. You begin to see through your own thoughts. You, when you begin to see through your own thoughts, your soul's about to get restored. You've been getting played in ways you can't get played because of the Word of God. I don't have to think that. I don't have to go there. And there's a power in the... The Word is living and powerful to put up that stop sign to protect you. To say, no, this is how I feel, but this is still who you are. And I'm believing, and when, I, and, and when I side with the word, I begin to think from here, then my mind begins to get renewed. My mind becomes, can, gets in line with what the word says and who I am. And that's where the restoration process begins to take place. I still am a new creation. The old has passed away. I remember one time I've related, you know, years ago, I'm, I'm beating myself up with something and thinking, oh, you know, my soul is just fighting me, guilt, shame. Yeah, I guess this is just who I am. And the Lord said, that's not who you are. You are a new creation. That's coming at you from the outside. You're still who you are. The word fights for who you are. Triggers that will try to bring you back. There's the word that fights, that steps in between you and that trigger, and it, the trigger doesn't work anymore. It begins to heal thought patterns. I love this example that we've seen with Mary Martha and Mary. Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what Jesus taught, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't seem unfair that my sister just sits here while I'm doing all the work? Tell her to come and help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. Mary has chosen that good part, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, we kind of know the the apparent meaning of that, right? We want to sit at Jesus' feet. We don't want to be distracted with different things like that. That's all good. That's all part of it. But there's something that I really saw in this, this parable, or not parable, this, is, this really happened, in this story with Mary and Martha, is that we see Jesus. Jesus is the Word of God. Now, Jesus could have looked at Mary and said, okay, Mary, could you help your sister? He didn't do that. What did he do? Jesus stepped in between Martha and Mary, and he protected Mary. And so, no, Mary has chosen the good part. It will not be taken away from her. Again, allegorically, this is kind of the way it is. The word gets between your soul, your spirit. It steps in. The word fights for you in your soul in a way that is powerful. It has the ability. It creates a buffer. 
There's space in there. You see things coming from afar off when the word of God is working in your heart that you just don't see coming from. You just don't see. There's, there's no space there. There's no reaction time there. But the word puts it there. Jesus stepped in between Mary and Martha, and he said, no, Mary, uh, Martha, Mary's chosen the good thing. It won't be taken away from her. It's like an advocate that gets between. Because that could have been a trigger for Mary, you know, especially if you're siblings, you know, things that you say, things that you do. But what is it? Jesus is protecting Mary here. The word has that same ability. It steps in. It protects us. It's a big part of the process of renewing our soul. And that's really what Romans 12, 2 says. It says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't copy the behavior customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. The passion, stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. What is this? This is how he restores my soul. He restores my thoughts from death to life, from death to life and peace. In other words, as I'm sitting in my, as I'm sitting in my room, as I'm sitting in my house, as I'm sitting in the house of my soul, and I'm looking around this place, I got to decide that I need change. We resist change. Yeah, it's ugly, but I'm kind of used to it, and I'll just kind of live on top of it. But at some point, it's like, no, this isn't good. This isn't right. I'm not satisfied with this. I want to be clean. I want to be whole. You know, you can sit in that old dusty place and be bitter and right and full of pain and hurt, and you know something's not right. It's like that song. My eyes are dry. My faith is old. I know how I ought to be alive to you and dead to me. There comes a summonsing where it's like, okay, this is too much death. I'm sick of these death thoughts. I want life and peace again. I'm going to go back to Father's house. I'm going to let him restore my focus. I'm not going back to religious duty. I'm not going back to rat, tat, tat. I'm not going back to praying for people to, to hear my prayers and be impressed with my prayers or volume prayers so God's impressed. I'm just going back to that secret place. I'm just going to, back to that place where I'm talking to him about my stuff. I don't have to get my stuff figured out before I can talk to him. He still loves me. He's still for me. I'm going back to a place where I'm letting the word of God work in my heart. I'm letting that word of God work in my heart, and I'm going to a place where my expectation now, it's not all or nothing. It's progress. It's a little here. It's a little there. Praise God. And as you experience that separation, it's like, that trigger's gone. That trigger's gone. I'm forgiving this person. I'm, I'm walking in love. I'm doing this. You know, you get these little things that are going on, and that healing in that room of your soul begins to get cleaned up. And it's encouraging. You know, whether it's you're building something and you see it two weeks later, or, you know, if it's weight loss or financial improvements, you can see increments over time. Go, wow, I'm motivated. I'm inspired. If I can get from here to here, I can get from here to here and here to here and here to here. It works. And it works the same way with spiritual things. And all of a sudden, then you're not intimidated by your flesh. You're not intimidated by this room because God's grace is sufficient and he can restore your soul. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that you are the one who restores our soul. And Lord, we just look to you this morning as the restorer of our soul. And we thank you, Lord, too, that you are good, that you love us, that you are still for us. And I just pray, Lord, this morning that as we just come upon this new year, as we look out at the projects that we want to accomplish this year, oh, that we would just see our soul with fresh eyes. You restore our soul. 
Father, draw us, I pray. Draw us back to that place of decision that we want life and not death. Go ahead and make this a declaration of faith if your heart can agree. Say, dear Heavenly Father, I want life in my soul. I'm ready for change. I don't want to live in an old soul with old bitterness and old resentment. I want the new and fresh. I want my soul to look like my spirit, to be new, to be restored. I come to you, Father. I don't come to religion. I don't come to a harsh discipline. I'm not performing penance. I'm just coming to you, to secret place prayers, to sweet meditations of your word, to a wonderful relationship where I can walk and talk throughout my day. I can comment on stuff. We can hang out, have a sense of humor, enjoy life together. I'm coming to you. You're meek. You're lowly in heart. You're still a safe place. I thank you, Lord, that my expectations are progress and hope, that I can celebrate every victory, every new clarity of thought, every new joy in my heart, and step by step, walk out to a restored soul. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. We'll receive that this morning. You know, my heart, I guess, in this is just to understand the process. These are all big pieces in of themselves. But to kind of see the, the, the chronological flow, there's an awakening. I got to get spiritual again. I got to live for God again. I can't live in this death soul anymore. I know how I ought to be, alive to you and dead to me. What can be done? Soften it up with oil and wine. I'm coming unto him. I'm coming unto the person. I'm coming unto his love. I'm coming back in fellowship with God again. Dirty room and all. And in that sweet fellowship, we're going to get this room cleaned up together. Step by step, celebrating every little victory along the way. Amen? Praise God.